Hey, what is up? This is Aiden Jones. You're listening to Sitting Under a Tree for Tuesday, the 12th, 12th of October 2021. How are you guys doing? Hope you're okay. I feel um, a little bit down, actually. Um, I, uh, I f- I've, I've, I've been feeling for the last, like since I got home from work today, I've just been feeling kind of sad or like, not dread, I want to say dread, but that's not what I feel. I just feel kind of like I I want to cry a little bit and I don't know why. So um, that's a good place to start, isn't it? There's nothing's happened. It's okay. Like I'm okay, you know. I'm okay. <laughs> that's a good place to start the podcast, isn't it? Um, just so you guys know, I'm okay. <laughs> Sounds like there's off in the distance. What do I see? Is that a butt? <laughs> I'm okay. But but I'm okay. You know, but I just I just feel sad. I maybe also feel maybe I feel a little bit of dread about doing this podcast because the um the thing that I want to talk about this week is the young ones. And uh, I don't feel like I have something, you know, like fully formed to say about it and that scares me. So um, I've been putting off doing the podcast and now I'm here and I'm doing it and it's like, all right, am I going to find something? Um, I want to talk about my day first. I actually had a lovely day today. i got a story for you. I worked with this guy um, who... Uh, has been doing removals for a long time and he's like a 40-something-year-old dude and he was just telling me all these stories. I love an old dude. I love just like a guy who's been around, you know, and has got stories and just has been doing a thing. Like he's just been doing this thing. He said he's been doing removals. He's like in his 40s. He's been doing it since he was like 19 and he's, uh, he's from the UK so he was doing it in London and he was working for like companies um doing like auction houses you know moving like bits of art and just really expensive shit um he was saying like uh, (laughs) what was one he was like they would have these artworks and they were in some like fancy hotel in park lane and like you know one of the most expensive places to go in london and there was like royalty like prince anne i think was who he said was one of these people there and they were like going to this, you know, charity thing where like they buy artworks and then fucking donate them to museums or whatever. How wild that that, what is your, what is the life of a Royal where like, that's a, that, that, is that an afternoon for some people? What are you doing today? Well, I'm going to this, one of the most expensive hotels in the heart of one of the great cities on earth. And uh, me and some people that I kind of know are going to (laughs) eat incredible food, (laughs) buy buy famous artworks (laughs) and donate them to charity. (laughs) What are you doing? I don't know. I might might go get a coffee. (laughs) 
<laughs> no matter what happens in my life, I will never, that's never going to be an afternoon that I get to have. I'm going to go to a hotel in Park Lane and buy artworks and donate them to museums. <laughs> How rich are you that your afternoon is like what museums need to stay afloat, you know? I'm never going to buy a coffee that supports a museum. No, what's the corollary? Like me, what I what do I do of an afternoon? I walk around Fitzroy, Brunswick, whatever. I buy a coffee. Um, I do stand-up. I did stand-up on Saturday twice. I did my show, Taco, twice in the park. How sick's that? Did it once on Tuesday last week. I did fucking my show three times in the last week. Why am I talking about that? How can I be sad if that's happened? Well, you know, I just, yeah. You know why I'm sad actually a little bit maybe is because Sydney has opened up today and that sounds so petty, but I guess it's just... For the first time in ages, I'm comparing my life to other people's, which is, you know, that's never going to work out well, is it? And um, I spoke to my mate from uh, the UK the other day on the phone and he was talking about how he's thinking of going to Uruguay with this girl for Christmas for a few weeks. And I was just like, you can go to Uruguay? And he was like, yeah, you can just go. (laughs) And I'm just like, fucking hell, man. Yeah. I've managed to, I guess, get away from the frustration of being in lockdown for like the last few months. And Sydney opening up, coupled with talking to my mate who's in the UK who just COVID lockdowns are not a thing there anymore, just really got me, bummed me out, I think. I feel like the armor that I've built up over the last few months of like just living in the moment and whatever just was penetrated by those two facts in the last couple of days. So yeah, maybe that's why I'm down. Anyway, so I'm talking to this guy at work today and uh, <laughs> yeah, get back to the story. Stop. I don't want to dwell. I still, even though I do feel sad, I don't want to dwell because that's not whatever. So I'm talking to this guy and uh, he's telling me about, yeah, Princess Anne and that's right. And he's like, yeah, and you know, they just, we sit in the truck. He was like, it's really easy work because we just sit in the truck and then they go, right, item number 43. And, uh, you know, we fucking get that statue, that priceless, priceless statue number 43. <laughs> oh, um, artistic item of international historical significance number 37. <laughs> Just to be able to touch something like that once in your life is incredible, you know? These people are buying them, not even just to have, like, not even just to have for themselves. They're just buying them because they've just got the money and they're just like, well, I'm not going to put it in my house. So I'll just give it to a museum. I mean, fuck. It's not fair. That's not fair, is it? That, that is upsetting. You know, and then we the, we fucking go to the museum and they're like, don't touch it. Stand behind the glass. Don't touch it. Like they're giving it to the museum so that we can go there and be told off for looking too close. I don't know. That's not why I'm upset. It's just it's frustrating that they have that much money and we don't, you know. Why don't I get to fucking go to lunch and buy artworks and give them to people? <laughs> why? <laughs> 
why doesn't that why, why don't I get to have that life and instead I'm fucking doing stand up in the park during lockdown you know anyway whatever you be grateful for fucking what you have come on Aiden <laughs> so so I'm talking to this guy <laughs> That's that's when you know I've had enough wallowing. I'll just go back to that. So so I'm talking to this guy, and um, uh, yeah, he was telling me like they come out and they you know stand there with their white gloves on, holding the thing in front of all the rich people, and they're like, yeah, fucking ten million, great, you know, <laughs> and take it away, and um, just like and he was saying, you know, before they got into the room, like like fifteen minutes before this lunch was going to take place and there were like rats crawling over the tables because it's just an empty disused room with nice furniture in it and uh, no one's ever in there. So there's just like fucking, you know, vermin sitting in there. So they have to go through the room and fucking move things and chase all the fucking shit out and then Princess Anne comes in there and bids on famous artworks. Like, you know, I guess that's what we get, right, is we get to know that however nice their afternoon is, it is ultimately a charade. Charade? Charade. Sherrod. It's a Sherrod. Um, but he was telling me these stories of like, you know, getting like these crates with these artworks in them from uh, wherever the fuck they're coming from in the world and some ports and some places just don't have safe working environments and people get injured and sometimes the crates would rock up and there'd be like little bits of blood on them because people have, you know, hurt themselves because they're like rather than having cranes to lift a huge box, they just get 20 dudes to stand around it and go, three, two, one, yeah. (laughs) Like lift a fucking marble statue with just 20 dudes. (laughs) And so inevitably there's injuries and, and, you know, he said sometimes crates rocked up and there was blood on them. And then he, he goes, um, there was one and uh, it was a Salvador Dali bronze statue and they get it in the crate and it arrives and, you know, it's all packed or whatever and they open up the crate and uh, there is a dead cat <laughs> in the crate. I mean, fuck me just a dead cat um and like they had to get i don't know what it's called in the uk but whatever the customs agency is or the thing that's like biosecurity you know has to come because it's like a cat but it's also like it's foreign wildlife you know they got to check that it doesn't have any diseases that's dangerous they had to come and fucking check the <laughs> the dead cat out and then uh there was a mark on the statue from where the cat had been pressed up against this this Salvador Dali, you know, Salvador Dali, like the clocks, the melting clocks guy, that guy, yeah, one of his, and there was a dead cat pressed up against the fucking statue, and I'm not allowed to touch it in the art gallery, (laughs) that's crazy, isn't it, and there was a mark on the statue that they just straight up couldn't get out, (laughs) I kind of like that. You know, on one level, I know the reason that you're not allowed to touch stuff in the art gallery is because you can't, it's got to be there for other people to enjoy and if everyone touched it, then, you know, 
one pring- one fingerprint turns into a thousand, turns into a million fingerprints, and then suddenly you've got a fucking it's not an artwork anymore. It's just a pile of dust because everyone's fucking rubbing it and licking it and kissing it. So you can't have that. That's why we're not allowed to touch them. But I still resent that I'm not allowed to touch it because I feel like I'm important, you know. And I'm I I have an interesting view on the world. Maybe if I touched it. I'd learn something that other people wouldn't because I'm fucking pretty smart, man. <laughs> so, you know, don't let them touch it, but let me touch it. And I'll I'll have an experience and I'll then relay that to you, you know, with my skills as a communicator and, and humanity will be richer. Go on, let me touch it. No, you're not. You can't. I can't touch it. But Princess Anne, she's allowed to fucking have high tea and bid on it and then donate it to a... Do you know what I mean? And she's probably fucking... They probably fucking touch it all they want as well, don't they? As if they're not touching it. If you buy that 100%, if you're a royal and you buy an artwork to donate to a gallery, there's no way you're like, by the way, before you fucking donate that artwork, I'm going to lick every inch. I'm going to touch all the fuck over that artwork because I bought it. Fuck you. <laughs> I wonder if they do. I wonder if they do or if they practice the restraint that they would have us believe that they do. You know, I mean, probably if you ask the queen, hey, do you ever touch those artworks that you buy? She'd be like, of course not because then it won't be there for future generations. But she has to say that, doesn't she? Like when the doors close and she's in the room by herself with the Mona Lisa and she's looking at it and the Mona Lisa and she's walking around the room and the Mona Lisa's eyes are following her. You telling me that she's not just going to go up and, and fucking plant a big fat smooch on that 15th century woman's mouth? Of course she is. And she's not going to tell anyone because it'll ruin her. What the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> so anyway, there was a dead cat in the in the thing. That's pretty funny, isn't it? That's a bit of a laugh. I like that. I like that that happened. I like that. What that says to me is that the world, what I learn as I get older, and you know what? Maybe this will be a tenuous link into the young ones, which is what I was going to talk about. What I learn about the world as I get older is that as much as it feels when you're younger, like there's someone in charge, you know, and your, your parents, if you've got good parents, give you that feeling like, don't worry, we're in control. We are at the wheel and everything's going to be all right. I just hiccuped then. Sounds like I'm about to cry. <laughs> they go, we're in charge. Everything's going to be all right because we're your parents and we're going to protect you. And then as you get older... You know, when I when I started getting older, I was like, okay, that's them. And then maybe also in the larger context of the world, you know, the government is going to protect us and there's someone out there who knows what's going on. And the older I get, I realize there's no one out there who knows. what people, No one knows what's going on. No one controls this. No one's fucking at the wheel, you know, pulling the strings, making things happen. It's no one's fault. No one predetermined that a cat was going to die in a box with a, a bronze statue by Salvador Dali. 
it's not a conspiracy. It just happened. And uh, and I, I really like that. I like finding evidence of things like that, you know? I remember when I used to work at a cafe, this cafe in London, and um, just realizing like the way that they roster, the way that they put staff on is that they want to have just enough staff so that if we get a lot of customers, we have to work probably too hard because that's like how they save money. But they don't know how many people are going to come in. So, you know, if if there's too many... If there's too many staff on for the amount of people in the place, they're losing money. So they don't want that to be the situation. So they roster so that there's not going to be enough and then sometimes we'll get slammed and it'd be fucked. And I'm like, why didn't they put more people on? And it's like they didn't put more people on because if they had more people on, they'd be losing money. That's how they have to operate but they don't know how many people's coming. They didn't, they didn't on purpose make us get absolutely slammed. They didn't know how many people were going to come in. It's no one's fault. No one was no one was sitting behind a desk going, I know what I'll do. I'm going to make these kids work, you know, obscenely hard for no money. I mean, they do that a bit, but they're not trying to hurt us. I don't know. Maybe that's naive. Anyway, but no one made that. No one killed that cat and put it in there on purpose. <sighs> the reason I like the young ones, the reason I wanted to talk about the young ones was because I... Um, it all comes back to my work at the moment, doesn't it? I was working with a mate of mine and, uh, you know, meet people often who like the young ones but um, I found out that one of my mates at work really does and we were quoting it and it's just it's such a quotable show. If you don't know the young ones, early 80s British comedy sitcom uh, came out of the start of the comedy store in London and uh, the alternative comedy boom of the eighties. And, um, I've done a little bit of like looking into the, I kind of knew the stories of how the show started, but it was nice to just revisit it and learn a little bit more about like, so it's the show is it's four students living in a house and their landlord Jertsey, who's just like some kind of stereotypical Eastern European guy. And, um, the four housemates are Neil, the hippie, a Adrian, no Vivian. Adrian's the actor. Vivian, the punk. Uh, Rick, the kind of anarchic people's poet, and uh, Mike, the cool person. And then there's Jersey, the landlord, and they all, you know, they just fight. They don't get along. Um, they're always fighting. It's very violent. It's very cartoonish. The the humor is very absurd. Um, and the show itself is like these people in this house fighting, but then sometimes there's a little cutaway, and it's like two mice talking to each other about Greek philosophy or like a cutaway to um, to like this underground world where everything's always exciting but the king's bored because nothing, everything's always exciting and he wants something boring to happen and then back up above in the world, the four students are really bored and it's just fucking silly little absurd things, you know. And where it came from, was the the comedy at the time. So British comedy before that, like stand-up, was kind of stale. And uh, it was just, um, there was like Monty Python, but that wasn't really stand-up and that was just like private school, you know. Oxford and Cambridge guys. And it was very smart and it wasn't for most people. Well, that's kind of what it felt like apparently. And then there was the working men's clubs 
which is like the British equivalent of like RSLs. And that comedy was like, no one wrote the jokes. You didn't own your perspective. No one really had a point of view. They were just jokes about like racism, it was like racist jokes, homophobic, sexist jokes, jokes about your mother-in-law, that kind of crap. And um, then the comedy store came along in the early 80s. I think 81 was the first season of this show. So maybe late 70s, early 80s and it was this thing that just felt really different. It was like maybe riding on the back of the energy of punk and it was very DIY and uh, Alexi Sale who plays the landlord in the show was kind of the, it felt, it's always felt like the epicenter of that thing and he was the one, he was just, you know, on stage ranting and screaming and doing all these weird accents and voices and stuff. Very chaotic. And then there was Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson and uh, they had a double act and they were, you know, violent and their whole thing was like being violent towards each other. Then there was another double act, Nigel Planer and this other dude whose fucking name I missed. The interesting, One interesting thing about the show is that the TV producers came into the store, they saw all these people, they went, how can we put this on TV? And they ended up all kind of working together to write this show as a vehicle to get this new kind of humour on the BBC and uh, reach a new generation of comedy fans. But there were two double acts and then there was Alexi Sale. Alexi Sale got on, the first double act, Rick and Aid got on and then Nigel Planer was one half of the other double act that was like, that was going to be, you know, the whole cast. But the other guy had some weird falling out with the producer of the show. Something happened, misunderstanding, I don't, you know, who knows. They didn't interview that guy. They didn't interview the guy who didn't get on the show. They interviewed the other guy who had the falling out with him. Isn't that interesting? But the other guy, one of the guys, he didn't get on the show because he had some weird falling out with the producer. So all of these guys were in the comedy store and really knew each other and worked with each other and like had known each other since, you know, uh, since college. And then the, the, the last piece of the puzzle, this guy just wasn't on the show and so they had to cast it. I'm... That kind of struck me um, that there was just this one guy who that, who was an actor who didn't know any of them and he just got slotted in the show because I used to watch it. I came to the show when I was a kid. My dad showed it to me. My dad was like real big and getting me into all of this British comedy like Red Dwarf and Blackadder and even like Black Books, whatever. But this was like the young ones was like a big one and me and my little brother used to watch it and uh, – it was a real bit, evidently from what the reading that I've done, it was a really big show for young kids. They thought it was going to, they were pitching it at like people in their 20s and like students, people the age of the characters in the show. But um, as it happened, it actually ended up playing really well with kids like 10 to 14 years old. And that was how old I was. <clears throat> Me and my brother watched it and loved it, man. I just loved Adrian, the punk guy just fucking punching people in the face, hitting people over the head with wood and there's like explosions. Um, there's, you know, he just, he fucking runs through walls and like he's always breaking stuff. In the first episode, Neil's just going to, and Neil's going to kill himself. That's this one of the storylines is Neil's going to hang himself. I mean, how fucking awesome is, that's so dark. One of the characters in the first episode is like, all right, guys, I'm going to kill myself. And he says that to him and they're all like, yeah, whatever, man. And then he just doesn't because the rope is too long. So he just, his feet just hit the floor and 
<laughs> and he's rigged it up to play rock around the clock when he hangs himself and then he drops and he just doesn't die but rock around the clock starts playing. <laughs> oh. And then the two, there's two ladies going by in a bus and they see him through the window and they're like, oh, stupid Ippy, could have had a shorter rope. Yeah, should have done a bit a bit shorter. He's just, you know, out of nowhere, this non sequitur, these two ladies just look through the window and see that he's not killed himself right. And rather than sympathizing with him, they're like, stupid hippie, he should have fucking had the rope shorter. That's the kind of world that the show exists in. That's the humor. Irreverent. I don't know why I'm trying to describe it to you, but that's what I fucking loved about it when I was a kid. It just is... I was thinking about how it's kind of similar to um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I read a piece the other day about Always Sunny in Philadelphia and it was just like someone, I guess, trying to kind of moralize about Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I don't know if I've spoken about this before. I don't know if this is kind of covered ground as if it's like an important thing for me to talk about. I love Always Sunny, guys, all right? And I've just, you know, this is something that's really dear to me and I think it's important for me to be frank. (laughs) Frank is in the character in the show. It's important for me to be uh, Danny DeVito with a drinking problem. Uh, I think I I really love that show and what I love about it, I think is the same thing. I I looked up to see if anyone had written about how they're kind of similar and no one has. I guess they're pretty far apart culturally, but Always Sunny is the same thing. I just like, it makes me giggle, man. The violence, the meaningless violence. They just, they, they fight each other. They hurt each other. They hurt the people around them. And when I was watching this documentary about the making of the young ones, they were saying it was really important for them to make a show where you didn't necessarily like the main characters. And, uh, you know, it's true. You don't. In the young ones, you don't really – you – I guess you don't wish them harm because then if they died, the show would be over but you want them to hate each other and fight because it's funny. And that's the same. Yeah, that's the same in Always Sunny. You don't want them to be happy. You don't want Charlie to fall in love and, and like, you know, be happy with the waitress because it's funny when he fucking just does awful things to her. Um. You don't want Neil to get over his depression because it's funny when he tries to kill himself. That's interesting, isn't it? Anyway, so I just loved that as a kid. I loved it, man. I just loved the violence of it. And uh, But it's so weird that that's pitched at kids because it's just like a lot of fart jokes and stuff like that. I don't know. There's something that's like not for kids about it as well. Like a, a hippie trying to kill himself. Someone trying to kill themselves. It's not for kids. It doesn't feel like it's for kids, but. Then something about, you know, maybe it's so cartoonish, it's just like unspoken that it's not real. <clears throat> I always as a kid thought that um, that Mike, the actor guy who they got in, was kind of the odd one out. I didn't really like him. Um, he kind of plays a straight character. And then as I was watching the doco about the making of the thing, I was like, it's fucking, it, it's kind of rough for this guy that, 
all these other people knew each other and they were part of this alternative comedy movement and this guy was just he didn't even realize at the start until he got into it oh these guys are all really close and i'm just like filling a role i want to know what happened to the guy who didn't get to be in the show and why they didn't interview him i didn't watch the whole making of thing so maybe i need to watch it and and find that out that'd fucking eat at you hey this is like a cultural touchstone then they did two seasons six episodes each season 1981, 1984, but they did a live show. You know, it was a massive thing. And he didn't get into it because of some misunderstanding. Anyway, I don't really know what I want to say about it. I don't think it's, I don't think it needs to be moralized about. I don't think it's, you know, I mean, the politics in the show, it's not preaching. Po- oh, that's the other cool thing is you, uh, they have bands in the show as well. And I found out in the making of video that the reason they had bands wasn't because they were just like, fuck it, let's have a band. It was because if they have bands, it counts as a variety show and so they get more funding. <laughs> and the show was already completely absurd and full of non sequiturs. So they were like, why don't we just have a band in the lounge room and just cut away to it with no real explanation? It kind of makes me feel, I, I think... It, what I was like, why I wanted to talk about the young ones and why it feels relevant to me now is it has the energy of a show that is like these people who are just like, fuck it, let's just make a show. Let's just make a thing, you know? And they're not asking for permission. And I fucking really like that. It's like, don't, you know, they're doing comedy at the comedy store. And then, I mean, I guess someone approached them and said, hey, do you want to do a thing for TV? But they're just, they've got all these ideas, they've got all this stuff and they're like, we're just going to have a band, we're going to have bands, we're going to have cutaways, we're going to have people fighting and explosions and it made me think, why don't I have explosions? I had that idea. I was like, maybe it'd be cool to just go out to a field and like get a bunch of petrol (laughs) And light it on fire and film it. (laughs) Like, is that content? I don't know. I'm not going to do that. Whoever, I told that to someone the other day and they were like, don't do that, man. (laughs) Maybe that would be cathartic to fucking just smash something, you know? Footage of like throwing a TV off of a fucking man when i was like 19 my friend got me a uh, a, like a a monitor an old computer monitor for my birthday with the implication being your birthday present is i'm going to drive you to a bridge and we're going to throw this monitor off a bridge and we did it (laughs) my friends know what i like you know and what i like is pointless violence and destruction the show speaks to me. The young one speaks to me on that level. Maybe it's just the fucking anger. Maybe it's just the joy of being like, yeah, man, let's just smash something. It feels good to just break stuff. You know, it's important to build things in your life, but sometimes you're upset and you just want to fucking break something. And I feel upset right now. No, I'm not, I haven't really thought about breaking anything. I don't know. Just feel down. Maybe I'm a little bit scared that lockdown's going to lift, that we're coming out of it, and uh, maybe the change, maybe the change is coming. I feel kind of comfortable right now. Played Settlers of Catan with my housemates the other night and 
just, you know, last night actually, I won. I fucking won. And, uh, you know, I was just like, this is nice. This is really nice. It feels good. And uh, I guess maybe maybe I need to make like a little plan for when we're opening up because we are going to open up and I'm going to be doing a lot of stand-up again. But I don't want to completely just go back to, you know, just stand up and only stand up and not having a life. I want to make sure that there's still, from week one, there's one day a week where I set that aside to be with like my housemates or friends or just do something that's not stand up. Maybe that is something that I need to make sure I do, that I would like to make sure I do. Don't put pressure on yourself, Aiden. Yeah. Because it is, it's coming and it's like, yeah, I fucking no, man. I don't know. I don't know. Something I wanted to talk about real quick uh, on the pod was a fun little correction from last week. The boys over at 1001 Songs That Make You Want to Die um, at 1001 Songs That Make You Want to Die on Instagram um, had a correction for the podcast last week. Uh, Truman Capote. His friend was Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. What the fuck did I say last week? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, (laughs) which they said, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is bird-related. You were so close. I was. I was very close, wasn't I? Um, Yeah, that's a good correction, man. If you guys have got anything uh, to say to me in relation to the podcast, please message at sitting under podcast on Instagram so that I can collate those messages in one place. Cause if you just message my personal, I'll fucking forget, you know, um, if you've watched the young ones, maybe I'm going to watch some more of the young ones. Maybe I'll watch some more of the young ones tonight. I've only watched like three or four in this, you know, I was going to watch them all, but it's just a lot. It's a lot of work to watch all of them. Um, but it's a fucking great show, man. If you haven't watched it, Rick Mayo. Is I watched a bunch of his like solo stand up. He's like he plays this you know smarmy political character reading poetry, and he's making fun of anyone who's like trying to be too political, I guess. Or he's making fun of himself and that tendency that he has in himself. Um, the character is so fucking good, man. He's just reading this awful poetry and getting angry at the audience. It's beautiful stuff. Um, yeah, watch the young ones. Do yourself a, a fucking solid. If you like, vi- if you like, actually, there. If you like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I reckon you'll like the young ones for the senseless violence. Um, and I'm surprised that no one's made that connection online. That Always Sunny in Philadelphia is quite similar to the young. I reckon it's very similar in that you don't want the characters to do well and be happy in their lives. You want them to keep being miserable people because that's the thing that's funny. If you know any other shows like that, message me because I would love to watch them. I don't watch a lot of shows. I don't have the patience for it. But if you got one like that, that you reckon the characters are all unhappy and they're shitty and that's what's funny, message me at Sitting Under Podcast and I'll, I promise you, if you message me that, this week I'll give the first episode a watch. I'm convinced that there's not that many shows like that. It's a very unique thing and I like unique things. Um, other than that, man, I think that's the podcast for this week. I hope that you guys are having a, a great week, man, wherever you're at. If you're, in Mel- uh, if you're in Melbourne, if you're in Sydney, fucking you guys are opening up. Good for you. I'm excited for you. Also, fuck you a little bit. <laughs> if you're in Melbourne, 
just stay strong. We're going to make it. And if you are a rich person buying art and donating it to galleries, do me a favor and fuck those pieces of art before you donate them to the galleries. Have a great week. There's been Aiden Jones sitting under a tree. Peace.